0: Take your Bible and open to Luke chapter 9. We're going to turn our attention to God's Word, and we're again going to focus again on a verse, one verse in Luke 9. We started last Sunday, if you were able to be here. If you're here for the first time, um, to Lakeview, again, welcome to you, and I'll just reiterate some things that I told everybody else last uh, last week Um Just kind of the layout of how things work and what we do on Sunday mornings, what we're doing right now. Um, We typically, for the Sunday school hour, study through books of the Bible, like just verse by verse through books of the Bible. So for example, last year, fall and spring, we studied through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And then this past summer, we studied through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. This year, fall and spring this year, we're going to study through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so I, hopefully that'll be, that'll be rich. That's, so that's Sunday mornings. In contrast, on Wednesday nights at 8 at CBS, College Bible Study, every Wednesday night at 8 in this room, um, we, we study together and pray together, but it's going to be more topical um, rather than studying through a book of the Bible. And um, this, this semester, we're going to be talking about, on Wednesday nights, things that we all struggle with and, and holding each other accountable and praying for each other um, in a series we're calling Cross Culture. So I hope you'll come on Wednesday nights at 8. But again, on Sunday mornings, we're in just sticking through, study through Scripture. We'll start in Hebrews in a couple of weeks, but to kick off the semester, we're taking a few weeks to study about one of the most important statements we have from Jesus in the New Testament, and that is the statement of what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. So if you found this passage in your Bible, let's read the passage together. We'll actually start back in verse 18, Just to get a little context and read through verse 25. Uh, So, um, and there we go. So beginning in verse 18. So now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Again, let's pray. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. We recognize it to be that, and we, we confess that, that uh, it is not only our duty, but to our good that we submit to it and listen to it, and so I pray that you would give us minds to understand the truth that is here, and give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we hear, wills to obey it, give us all eyes to see, spiritual eyes to see, give me help to teach, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I said our main focus is going to be on verse 23 where Jesus says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Last Sunday, we started looking at the beginning of that, that verse. Uh, if, if, if anyone would come after me. And that, we, we just camped out there. And we looked at two things in particular about that phrase. The first was, who is Jesus? When he says, if anyone would come after me... Who is the me right there? And we noted that the whole chapter of Luke 9 is meant to get you to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Just in the passage that we read just now, just to give a little context, twice. And then we read beginning in verse 18. But uh, that's the central question of verse 18. Who do the crowds say that I am, Jesus asked. And then in verse 20, who do you say that I am? Disciples? That's the central question of of Luke 9. Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question that Luke is trying to get you to ask. And not just to come up with whatever answer you want to give to it, but to set you up for the answer that he gives to it. He sets the question up, who do you say Jesus is in this chapter? And then, then right after these things, Beginning in verse 28, this is what we looked at last week, beginning in verse 28 through 36, he tells the story of the transfiguration of Jesus, and he tells it in a really remarkable way, Um, at least to the, the original readers of this passage who were really familiar with their Old Testament, it would have really been striking, because of all the similarities between this story of Jesus' transfiguration in Luke 9, and a story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 15, where... The glory of the Lord, excuse me, Exodus 24, beginning of verse 15, where the glory of the Lord was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. The the whole point here being, there's so many similarities between those stories, it's Luke's point that uh, uh, the, the glory that Jesus revealed to Peter, James, and John on that mountain is the same glory that was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is the God of the Bible. When he says, if anyone would come after me, that's the me. This is the Lord of all that is, saying, if you would come after me. And the second thing we noted last week in that, those opening words is that it's an invitation. And he said to all, if any would come after me, if anyone would come after me. We thought about that in the context of the previous chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 8, in the parable of the sower where uh, Jesus basically said, this, you know, the story of a man going out to sow seed and it falls on different kinds of soil. And the, the point is, the seed is the Word of God. And our hearts, all of our hearts are like different kinds of soil that receive the Word in different ways because of the kind of soil that our heart is. And sometimes, as the parable goes, we don't cultivate any depth in our heart and our soul and, 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 there, and meaning that we don't when we hear the word, we don't follow through with discipleship. And so over time, we just simply fall away. And sometimes, he, Jesus said, sometimes the cares and the pleasures of this life and this world um, outweigh our desire and love for Christ. And so over time, we just fall away. But we saw last week, according to that parable, there is good soil. There's good soil that receives the word of Christ. And his invitation to follow him. And, and, it's, and it's those who see Jesus for who he is. Not just a Sunday school lesson, but the Lord of all that is. They see Jesus for who he is and they marvel at him and they worship him. And, the, and therefore, and out of that, they desire to follow him and grow deep roots in him. And I, think, I just, if, you, if, you're, if you're new to Lakeview, I think that would be a fair summary of our desire as a college ministry and Lakeview as a whole, as a church. Um there you'll hear me and you'll hear our pastor Al Jackson pray a lot in a prayer. I pray that all of us here would leave this place more in love with Jesus than when we came in. Like that's our desire that in your time at Auburn, that your time here that you would you would grow more and more to see Jesus for who he is. Love him and worship him and marvel at him so that you wholeheartedly want to follow him in the way he lays out that you are to follow him. That's our desire. And uh, by the way, any of these things that that I've mentioned from last week, either CBS or Sunday School, we have a podcast. Just search Lakeview College Ministry. Choose the one that has my name on it, Kevin Webb, and you can listen to anything that you have missed. But today, we're going to keep going in Luke 9.23 and move on from the first part to think about the middle part. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, Jesus says that for those who do see him for who he is, for those who do desire to follow him, two things are required. And it's just laid out for you right there in that part that's underlined. One is deny yourself. If anyone would come after me first, let him deny himself. So I want us to think about what Jesus means by that phrase, to deny yourself. And then the second is to take up your cross daily and follow him. That is something that perhaps his first disciples would have clearly understood, especially in light of what he had just said in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on a cross and on the third day be raised. But we need to rehear and understand what this means for us, just as it did to them. So let's think first about what Jesus means when he says that to desire to come after him, you must first deny yourself. Let's think about that. It's an interesting phrase, deny yourself. Um, and it, it's one that could easily be open to misunderstanding or misinterpretation. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. When he says that, he's not talking about possessions or things. He's not, he does not say, uh, let him deny himself things. Let him, you know, in other words, he's not saying that if you want to follow Christ, you can't enjoy things. That you, he's not saying, deny yourself all pleasure and joy in life. He's not saying... He's not mandating poverty or a somber life when he says deny yourself. Now, somebody, I guess, might say, well, what about the rich young ruler? Like, didn't Jesus tell the rich young ruler uh, to sell all that he had, give it away to the poor so that he could follow him? Sounds like he's sort of mandating poverty there. Let's think about that so we're clear on what he means here. Hold your place in chapter 9 and flip over to chapter 18 real quick and we have the story there of the story of the rich young ruler starting in verse 18 of Luke 18 And a ruler asked him Good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life And Jesus said to him Why do you call me good No one is good except God alone You know the commandments Do not murder do not steal Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So right there, does Jesus not say, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven? And isn't that kind of what Zacchaeus did when he he followed Jesus? Well, let's think again about what Jesus is actually doing here with this rich ruler. He is not saying, he's not literally saying that if you sell all that you have and give to the poor and become a poor person yourself, that you'll go to heaven. He's not saying that you, if you would be a very generous philanthropist, you'll go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. That's not the gospel. So what is he saying? Well, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Now, he's not even saying... Hear hear him on that. He's not even, when Jesus says, keep the commandments, he's not even saying, just try real hard to be good enough and try real hard to keep the commandments and you'll go to heaven. Even though he's saying, keep the commandments, notice why he's doing it. He says, keep the commandments. Uh, And and, and the, the, the ruler kind of boldly says, I've been keeping these since I was a child. I don't know how Jesus kept his, just kept a straight face when he said some of these things. That, Jesus, then that's when Jesus says, he says, I've been the this since I was a kid, and that's when Jesus says, okay, well then sell all you have and give them to the poor. Why? Why did Jesus say that? What Jesus was doing when he said, okay then, sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor, Jesus was holding up the first commandment to him. You shall have no other gods before me. Sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. This guy who had said, I've been keeping the commandments all my life. Jesus was saying, you haven't kept the first commandment. Your money is your God. Your possessions are your idol. Jesus was, when he said keep the commandments, and how about the first commandment? He wasn't saying, you need to try to do better. He was saying, you need a savior. You need a savior. Here are the commandments. You haven't kept them. You need a Savior. So back to Luke 9. He wasn't saying, give all your stuff away and you'll you'll have uh, salvation in that way. He was basically showing him that he needed a Savior. So back in Luke 9, when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, he's not saying, deny yourself all luxuries and earthly joys or pleasures in this life. It, It might come to that, but Jesus is actually saying something much, much deeper than that. Jesus is going way deeper than just deny yourself stuff. Because anybody can live the life of a hermit and deny themselves luxuries in this life and profit in no eternal way whatsoever. Jesus is saying so much more than that. When he says, let him deny himself, he literally means Just that. There's no other word after himself other than and, the next thing. Here's how one person puts what deny yourself means. He said, a person who denies himself gives up all reliance on whatever he is by nature and depends for salvation on God alone. That's what Jesus means by deny yourself. He means deny yourself. A person who denies himself gives up all reliance on whatever he is by nature and depends for salvation on God alone. But I want to take that right there as right and as true as that is. And that's true. I don't know if I could say it any better. But there's something that we need to say a little deeper than that. Because that statement, as right and true as it is, presupposes something really important. That statement right there presupposes that we are really aware of and really in tune with and real really realistic about who we are by nature. I mean a person who denies himself gives up all reliance on whatever he is by nature. That presupposes that you really do understand what you are by nature. In other words, denying yourself seems to require first that you know yourself. You see what I'm saying? How do you deny what you don't even know? It requires that you know yourself in order to deny yourself. But see, that's exactly where the problem comes. Like, I think there, we don't really know ourselves. I think there are three, at least three, huge obstacles in our lives to our even knowing ourselves, let alone denying ourselves. Okay? Okay. And here, here I'm going to lay them out for you, but three huge obstacles to our knowing ourselves in order to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The first one is this. We're too distracted. <laughs> we are too distracted to actually sit and think, period. Let alone examine ourselves deeply. And I mean this outside of studying for a test or something. I mean, just sitting around thinking about life and yourself and your soul. We're too distracted to do it. I, I read a book recently called uh, Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble. And this is, this is what he talked about how distracted we are in our culture that, right now. And he says, he says this, the person I'm most uncomfortable being alone with is myself. And that's okay because I've, come very, I've become very good at avoiding myself. For example, if I get stuck on an elevator and I start to feel that anxiety, the dread of having to examine my life, even for a minute, I just take out my phone and poof, it's gone. Or if I sense I need to have a heart-to-heart talk with myself about sin or doubt or fear, all of a sudden I remember that it's my night to do the dishes and I can't do the dishes without listening to a podcast. Self-avoidance is probably my most advanced skill set. I've developed it over the years in response to the burden of being alone, which can bring up so many unsettling truths. Of course, I have plenty of help from the rest of society. I'm, I'm always being encouraged to um, I'm always being encouraged to read something, to do something, to watch something, or to buy something new. It's an unspoken but mutually agreed upon truth for modern people that being alone with our thoughts is disturbing. (laughs) That is so scarily true. Like seriously, think about your average day. Think about your average day. I think about mine. I mean like, think about how much of it is just constantly distracted by an Instagram feed or Snapchat or whatever it is. Sometimes we're too distracted to even realize we're distracted. We don't ever sit alone with our thoughts. But what Jesus calls us to in Luke 9.23 is to know ourselves in order to deny ourselves and follow him. We're going to think about this distraction problem a little more in CBS in a couple of weeks. Um, But that's one big problem is we're too distracted to know ourselves even even to deny ourselves. But here's the second obstacle to knowing ourselves. Sometimes because of our distraction, we're deceived. Especially when we're distracted, we're deceived about ourselves. Unless we're, I mean, usually when we're distracted, if we're looking at Instagram or, or whatever, Snapchat or whatever, if we're looking at that, we're being entertained. It's just entertainment. And usually being entertained or laughing at something gives me the, innate sense that everything's okay you know and we don't naturally i don't naturally look through instagram and naturally consider the worst about myself uh or feel the need to deny who i am because usually you ever notice this usually we're doing the exact opposite of that on social media I'm not harping on social media. I'm just saying usually we're promoting ourselves rather than denying ourselves on social media. It's literally the opposite of what Jesus is saying. So we're deceived about ourselves, or third, we're in denial. That's kind of close to being deceived. But being in denial often happens implicitly. And I think Brother Al's going to talk about this in the next hour. But being in denial sometimes is not just outright saying, well, I deny that I'm a sinner. I, I deny that, I'm, that I have problems. I deny that I have struggles. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes denial doesn't happen just very overtly like that. Sometimes denial happens very implicitly. And it happens implicitly uh, often when we, when we judge the speck in somebody else's eye and are totally blind to the log in our own eye. You know? Uh, it's easy to see the sins and shortcomings of other people, but just as easy to deny that we each have the same struggle. So you add all those things together when we're distracted constantly, we're deceived or in denial about who we are, we don't even know ourselves well enough to deny ourselves to follow Jesus. That's a big problem. But here's, the, here's the, the, I guess, the good news is God has given us ways to overcome those obstacles. He's given us ways. And, and basically, it comes down to two things. He's given us His word and he's given us each other. He's given us his word, and he's given us each other. Hey, to, to overcome the distraction problem, and, the, and the, 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 the deception problem, and the denial problem, first of all, he's given us his word to read. This, this school year, uh, they may be on your table. If they're not, they're on the back, back table back there. We're reading through the New Testament this year as a college ministry, reading a chapter a day. Read through the New Testament with us this year and read it in an actual print Bible. Read through the New Testament in an actual physical paper Bible. Why? So that you can better hear the voice of the Holy Spirit instead of push notifications on your phone. It's just too easy to get distracted and do something else on your phone. And read the scriptures and prayerfully ask the Lord to show you who, show me who you are, Lord. Show me who I am as you read. He's given us His Word and His Holy Spirit, but He's also given us each other. Like, God has given you the church. He's given you the church to read and think about Scripture together. It's what we're doing right now. I mean, you could, you could, uh, Read this on your own and, and, and get whatever thoughts you get out of it. But it's even more advantageous for you to come and gather with all these people and read. The, let's read this together out loud. Let's think about it together around your tables in a big group. That, that's the benefit of the, of the church is we come and we read it out loud and we study it together, what, what we're doing right now and what we do on Wednesday nights at, at CBS, what we're going to do in missional community groups. Go to a missional community group, find one, sign up for one, online or just show up at one throughout the week and stay plugged into one of those. It's what you do, what you do when you're discipling someone or they're discipling you. God has given us a, a community of people to hear His Word with and to follow Him with. It's harder to be... It's harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. We're pretty skilled at it. But it's harder to be distracted from spiritual things when you're together with other people talking about spiritual things. It's harder to be deceived or be in denial about your sins and struggles when you're together with other people and they're talking to you about their sins and struggles. So when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That requires you know your old self. And you deny your old self. And in that, you're being sanctified into the new self that the Holy Spirit is making you to be in Christ with new habits, new desires, new goals, new life, new you. But practically, as you walk with Christ in the company of your brothers and sisters, you change over time. John MacArthur says that to deny yourself means refusing to associate with yourself. In other words, recognizing that the temptations, the old temptations that are still there, they're, 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 they're coming from your old nature, and you, don't, you no longer have to associate with your old self or listen to those temptations. Because the Bible says in Christ, that person is dead. That person is dead. And the Holy Spirit enables you to do that. So Paul says in Romans 6.11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is saying in Luke 9, 23, that that this right here, knowing yourself, doing whatever it takes to, to become less distracted, less deceived about yourself, less in denial about yourself, very aware of yourself, very aware of what the Scriptures say through reading His Word, through reading it in a community with brothers and sisters in Christ and plugging yourself into places where you can do that. Doing all those things is not an optional route To advanced Christianity. It is basic Christianity. Basic. But quickly. Jesus says the one who comes after him. Must not only deny himself. But also take up his cross. Daily. Let's think about that really quickly. I said last week. That every word in this. In this verse is important. And that's. That's true with the next phrase we find here. That he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. and Follow me. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Let me just say a quick word. First of all, note that word daily. Whatever, t- whatever taking up your cross is, Jesus says do it daily. Following Christ, I want you to hear me on this. Following Christ is not a one-time decision. That's one frustration I have, a little soapbox moment, okay? That's one frustration I have with trying to nail down exactly when you first believed. Or what your state of mind was when you first believed. This is particularly true of people who came to faith as a small child, And then they get older and they start having doubts, was I really saved when I was seven, when I was eight? I don't remember what I was thinking when I was eight. I don't remember what all I understood when I was eight. I'm not saying those things are never valid, but hyper-focusing, some people say you got to drive that stake in the ground when you were like eight or whatever. Hyper-focusing on when you first believed, in some ways, is missing the point. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Don't hyper-focus on one particular day. Take it up daily. The example that I've given before is if you came up to me and you said, prove to me that you're alive, I would not show you my birth certificate. I would say, I'm breathing. I'm breathing. If If it's not ongoing daily faith, If that's not the most important aspect of your faith, it's not the faith that Jesus is calling you to. Okay. Off the soapbox. Jesus describes that daily faith as taking up your cross. He died on a cross. And and all all those disciples almost all died a martyr's death. There is a very real sense in which he, he is calling you to Die a martyr's death to follow him if you follow him. But I would say the vast majority of believers who have ever lived did not die a martyr's death. So what does it mean for those who do not die die a martyr's death? It still means that you are willing to give up your life to follow him. And what I mean by that is not, not only be willing to die but die to your old desires, your old goals, your old everything. Jesus is now the defining factor of your life. Here's how Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians 15, 5. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Taking up your cross daily, short of dying a martyr's death, means your life is now aimed at Christ and pleasing him above all other things. And if it means literally giving your life for him, you literally do it. And Jesus says that in this, the next two verses in Luke 9, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world or loses and forfeits himself? That is radical discipleship, but it's the only kind of rewarding discipleship. And it's worth it. So I hope that as this school year And semester begins. It's going to be a year of following hard after Jesus Christ for you. Maybe like you've never followed him before in your life.